Well, hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Keystone. Whether you're here in person or watching online, we are so glad that you are with us this morning. So for those who don't recognize me, those who don't know me, my name is Drew Brennan, and I should introduce myself. I serve as a full-time chaplain with the Army. That's my job. And as of this year, I have been married to the Army for 18 years. Eight, yeah. Now, as impressive as that might sound, this is not my most important relationship. Now, I suppose I'm up here, I should say, my relationship with God is my most important relationship. But my most important earthly relationship is with a Keystone staff member, my wife, Hannah Brennan. She does spiritual formation here. Uh, she does discipleship. And so if you want to or need to get more connected with this community, please reach out to Hannah. Her contact information is online, and you can get plugged in. This year, actually, in a couple of days, we celebrate our 25-year wedding anniversary. Yeah. And can I just say that I am thrilled to celebrate my 25-year anniversary when I get to share a message of love with you. You see, we're in the middle of a series called Because You're Loved. And during this series, we're exploring what it looks like when or if we acknowledge that God's love for us is the fundamental reality of the world, the universe, the life we live. What if God's love is that fundamental reality? And I love that God saw love as so important that God made it the centerpiece of the most famous passage in all of Scripture, which is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish but has eternal life. Let that truth sink in for a moment. Now let it sink into the topic of today. When Randy was up here, he mentioned... Today we are talking in this series about worry. So I want to approach the remedy for worry with four things. The first will be a question. The second will be a sermon, not my sermon, but another very famous sermon. The third thing will be a story. And the fourth will be a letter. And so let's jump right in with the question. The question goes like this. What if worry is not something that you, that I, that we need to worry about? What if worry is not something we need to worry about? What if instead we can see worry as an invitation, as a gateway to experiencing the love of our Heavenly Father, the love of our Lord? What if that's possible? Now, I want to take us to the sermon, the most famous sermon in all of history, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as recorded in the book of Matthew. So Matthew 6, 25, smack dab, in Jesus' most famous sermon, what does he tell us? He says to us, I tell you, do not worry. I tell you, do not worry. Now, I have to pause here because when I told my wife I was talking about not worrying, don't worry, she said, Drew, you know what happens when you tell somebody not to worry? That's like telling them not to think about the pink elephant. 
Don't think about a pink elephant. What are you thinking about right now? The pink elephant. Don't worry. My guess is when you heard the topic was worry, some of your worries started to percolate up. But like a pink elephant, guess where worries primarily exist? They exist here in our minds in this powerful gift that God has given us called our imagination. And the imagination is indeed, as Brady mentioned a couple weeks ago, is indeed a remarkable gift. I love how an expert on worry, James Carmody, puts it. He says, humans, we humans, we are wired to worry. Our brains are continually imagining futures that will meet our needs and things that, should, and things that could stand in the way. So, so, so far, so good, right? Worry, at least having some cares in the world, can be a positive thing. Because it gets us moving in a direction for planning. In the Army, we call this contingency planning. We want to look at all the things that are out there and do our best to plan for them. Now, also in the Army, we have a saying that no good plan survives first contact with the enemy. No good plan survives first contact with an enemy. And I think this is why we struggle with worry. Because Carmody continues, and he says... Worry, the kind of worry that we're talking about and the kind of worry that Jesus is talking about in the text is this kind of worry. Worry is when vital planning gets the better of us and occupies our attention to no good effect. And so instead of our concerns helping us drive down the road, helping us to make plans for the future, worry is instead when that vehicle stops and the wheels are just spinning and we're going nowhere. We're spinning round and around like the cycle of a dishwasher or a washing machine. And we are stuck and we are going nowhere to no good effect. So Jesus continues. I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you eat or what you'll drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Now go in your mind to the first century I think Brady, for those of you that are used to his sermons, he does such a wonderful job bringing us back to first century Galilee. The audience that Jesus is talking to, scholars tell us that it's probably about nine-tenths people that are just at or barely below the subsistence level. The worries that Jesus is talking about here, what I'll eat, what I'll drink, what I'll wear, these are survival concerns of Jesus' audience. For me, it's a little bit hard to relate to this. What am I going to eat? Uh, I think you can probably tell <laughs> this guy hasn't had too much trouble finding food. What am I going to drink? Well, if I get dehydrated, guess what? It's probably my fault. Probably one of three things has happened. I've had too much coffee, maybe a little bit too much beer or whiskey and wisdom, or maybe I forgot to pack the Yeti when I went out in the boat. I don't have trouble with what to eat or what to drink. And what to wear? My biggest concern standing up here right now is that my jeans and my boots make me look too much like a cowboy. <laughs> the reality is, every year, I bring a load of clothes to the Goodwill. These are not my concerns. And my guess is that for most of you within earshot of me right now, 
These are not the things that keep you awake at night. If they are, reach out to us. We want to be there to help you with some of the basic needs of life. But my guess is for most of us in this audience, these are not our concerns. So, as modern people, with modern luxuries of life, with plenty of food, plenty of water, and plenty of clothing, we can just walk home right now. Thank you. Have a great, have a great holiday or whatever you're doing today. Enjoy the day. Unfortunately, just the opposite is the case. In fact, we are plagued by so much worry, we are plagued by so much anxiety, that one of the world's leading social psychologists, a guy that I love to listen to podcasts and books and that sort of thing, named Jonathan Haidt, is about to publish this book. The Anxious Generation. How is it that we have food, we have water, we have clothes, and yet one of the world's leading social psychologists is going to label us, our children, and our grandchildren, the ancient generation. Well, the reality is, roughly a third of us at some point in our life will experience a diagnosable anxiety disorder. That's just the reality of the world that we live in right now. Why is that? Well, I'm sure there's all sorts of explanations, but one of them that Jonathan Haidt talks about quite a bit is this thing that I carry around in my pocket right here. Why is that? Because I still have plenty of things to worry about on my own. My kids are going into college. How am I going to afford that? Have I saved enough? Are they going to find somebody to love? Are they going to start families of their own? Where is my career headed? The lifespan of a soldier is only so long. I have plenty of worries of my own. And yet, I open this guy up, and what do I have to worry about? Oh, looks like another plane crashed. The U.S., and I'm reading the headlines right now, the U.S. is at once again in tension with Beijing. There's apparently some issues with some noise with the new amphitheater, the great amphitheater they're putting downtown. And all of a sudden, all the wor worries of a billion people, five billion people, six billion people, whatever it is, around the world come flooding into our imaginations. And oh, by the way, we have social comparison. I didn't even open Twitter. I didn't open Instagram. I didn't open TikTok. Jesus continues. Look at the birds of the air. That's your remedy, Jesus? Look at the birds of the air? What are you, like some kind of hippie, right? No, you're worried. Look at the birds of the air. Thanks, Jesus. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more than they? Now, you can try to imagine yourself around the Sea of Galilee and try to imagine that Jesus saw some birds flying over, but I'm going to ask you to look at something different. I've got a picture to try to make Jesus' point a little bit more clear to us. All right, so this picture right here, we've got, I don't know if you can see it or not, it's fairly small, but over on the left, next to the Thomas Chapel sign, there is a dove, or maybe it's a pigeon, and on the right, there is some random soldier. Which one do you care about more? My guess is, if you had to choose, hopefully you would say this soldier right here. Why? Well, because that happens to be me, probably about 11 years younger and about 40 pounds lighter. The pigeon, by the way, my chaplain assistant named Bobby. Bobby was the chapel pigeon. So every time I walked into the chapel, this is Camp Stone, Afghanistan, I would talk to Bobby. 
Bobby got comfortable with me because I'm a chaplain. And Bobby started to share with me all of Bobby's pigeon concerns. You know, I'm the chapel, I'm the chapel pigeon now. I'm not sure if I'm up for the job. I'm miles away from my family. I've got this lovely nest over here, but I have no one to share it with me. And I left my family back home. My kids are just getting ready to get out of the nest. Are they going to survive without me? Am I going to survive? Are these the thoughts of Bobby the Pigeon? No. These are the thoughts of this bird brain. What's Bobby saying? Something like this. Life is good for Bobby the Pigeon. If you could see Bobby's face, Bobby would be smiling. What's Drew doing? Drew's frowning. Drew's a little worried this day. I thought about titling this message something like this. I went to war and learned how to sleep. And then I came home, and here's the story. On June 26, 2011, I went to a U2 concert. Any U2 fans in the group? All right, so we had been waiting over a year because Bono had had a back injury, and we were supposed to have gone to this concert a year earlier, and finally they're able to do the concert. And I'm in the middle of the concert, and you have to know to understand this story that I am 88 days from being done with the army. I wasn't counting, <laughs> but I was 88 days away. And the music's playing. And the crowd is energetic. And I think someone's smoking something behind us. And it has nothing to do with what happens next. But there, in the middle of the performance, it's as if I was captured in some kind of bubble of peace. I don't have a lot of mystical experiences, but this is one that I look back on. And I can't say that I heard a voice, but kind of like our imagination can see a clear pink elephant, I heard a very clear voice, and it went like this. There's something coming with the army, and it's going to be okay. Drew's reaction should have been like, yeah, I'm getting out, and it's going to be awesome. As we were walking out of the concert, I remember pulling Hannah aside. We're under a grove of pine trees and just saying, honey, there's something I have to tell you about later on, but I had the most amazing experience of God's peace and God's presence in the midst of of this concert, and I don't know what it means, but it was profound. I'm sitting at work. My other profession is I'm also an attorney, and I'm sitting in a law firm in downtown Grand Rapids on Monday morning. The concert was Sunday night, and I get a call. It's the state chaplain. Andrew, we're deploying you to Afghanistan, but I'm done in 80. No, we're deploying you to Afghanistan. And guess what? I had reasons to worry. I was in a new career. I'd been in a law firm for probably about six months at that point. Just getting my feet under myself. My boys, Will and Quinn, they were nine and six and they were starting a new school. My wife had had some ongoing health problems that were really at their worst during this time. She got a fibromyalgia diagnosis, but guess what? Doctors still really don't know very well what to do with fibromyalgia. So we've got that to deal with. 
We've got some family stuff going on that was difficult to work through. And guess what's going on in Afghanistan during this time? It's right at the deadliest time for U.S. troops in Afghanistan. There's something coming with the army, and it's going to be okay. Jesus continues, Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to the span of your life? What good is the ruminating doing? Jesus invites us to come back to the present and to enjoy his presence. Now, as if to confirm this message of Jesus, I, I pulled some data from, I think, WebMD and from the Mayo Clinic. Do any of these things look like they can add an hour of time, a day of time to your life? I highlighted my favorite one, which is the sleep problems, but if I were honest with you, probably 90% of these are things that Drew Brennan has experienced or struggled with at the height or the peak of worry. Jesus continues, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Today's trouble is enough for today. And I think this is the most important thing, the most important lesson that God taught me on this deployment to Afghanistan. It's the idea that there's no guarantee of tomorrow. You can plan, you can do what you need to do, but at the end of the day, you have to trust, you have to find rest, you have to find confidence and hope in me. You begin to relinquish control. There's not that much that I really have control over, and so God calls me to focus on those few things. Embrace simplicity. The army is really good at teaching us to embrace simplicity. We don't have to decide what we're going to eat. We don't have to decide what we're going to wear. We all wear the same things. We don't have to decide what we're going to drink. Why? Because the army decides to put out plastic water bottles in 120-degree Afghan heat, and I'm sure there's some PFAS or something that was in those bottles. That's a whole other conversation, and I'm not worried about it. I learned to sleep the best sleep that I'd ever had in my life. You see, at some point in my life, I became something of a worrier. And I developed a habit of insomnia. My dad died when I was young, and I think that probably added to some of it. Just there was a lot of insecurity that came with that. I also grew up in a church that practiced what I would probably say worry-based evangelism where we were constantly worried about whether we were right or wrong with God. Sure, they talked about love, but there was a lot of worry that went with it, a lot of worry about the end of the world, these sorts of things. And so I never really slept very well. But somehow, in Afghanistan, not carrying a weapon, I learned how to sleep. The problem is, I came home. I mean, it was great. That's not a problem. I'm just incredibly grateful to come home. The problem is, somehow I didn't bring that message back into the hustle and bustle of contemporary life. And I had to learn the message all over again. By the spring of 2013, working in the law firm, my anxiety levels were so high, and if I were to talk to the VA about it, there was probably a fair amount of PTSD going on here as well. But my anxiety levels were so high that even the process of folding a page felt like I was folding 
a 40-pound weight with each page in a file that I was looking at at work. And here is where the letter comes in. We're going to turn our attention now to a little letter from the Apostle Paul, an early Christ follower, an early Jesus follower, writing to the church in Philippi. Paul says, do not worry about anything. Sound familiar? At this point, Paul wasn't reading the Sermon on the Mount. He probably heard it from the disciples, but it hadn't even been written. Matthew hadn't been written yet. And yet Paul, writing to the first church in Europe, a church that he had started. And oh, by the way, when he was there in the Mediterranean city of Philippi, Paul was in prison. He was beaten, he was stripped and thrown in prison. And yet God somehow miraculously saved him and his colleague Silas from prison. But now Paul is in prison again. And he's writing to people in the city of Philippi that's known as the Little Rome. It was a, it was a, a, a retirement spot for, for uh, Roman soldiers and Roman officers. You can see all the architecture here. They modeled Rome. So Paul is writing to these people who are experiencing their own persecution. Paul himself is in prison, and yet he says to them, do not worry about anything. He continues, do not worry about everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And here for me, is where the remedy comes in at my homecoming. This little word right here, thanksgiving. This was my map to freedom from anxiety, freedom from worry. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this message of gratitude. Paul continues. With the gift of gratitude comes the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I want to turn your attention now to some individuals that I saw as incredibly important in my process of learning the power or the importance of gratitude. These three individuals are here I would call my redeployment angels. Now in army lingo, redeployment just means you're going somewhere else. You're redeploying. You deploy and you come back. And so this is my homecoming, the redeployment, deploying back to normal life. And the term trail angels, any backpackers in the group? Anybody do any hiking? All right, so the idea of a trail angel are people that live along the trails that will do wonderful things for backpackers, for hikers, folks that get themselves into a little bit of trouble. They'll bring them water. They'll bring them food, maybe some shelter. In fact, I had a chance to be something of a trail angel when I was in my youth. We were hiking in Minnesota, some buddies and I, and we came across this elderly couple that had somehow gotten stranded away from their vehicle and were on the verge of hyperthermia, and we were able to rescue them. There were three individuals who are not church people. A couple of these people do have some faith. That taught me the importance of Paul's message to the Philippians. Bring your cares to God with gratitude, and God will guide your hearts and your minds. The first one is Robert Emmons, second, Karen Rivich, third, Lisa Miller. They all teach at prestigious institutions across the country, but all of them have been involved in the Army, helping to help soldiers to adjust from combat, to adjust from deployments. I want to begin with Robert Emmons. Robert Emmons is 
probably considered to be the world's foremost expert in the topic of knowledge. My first exposure to him was in 2013. I forgot to tell you that I'm sitting back in the law firm struggling with turning a page, and the army called a second time. And the army said to me, hey, Drew, we're standing up a Master Resilient, Great Lakes Master Resilient Training Institute at Fort Custer, and we would love for you to be an instructor. And to me, this was a godsend. So I got to learn from some of these experts. And what Robert Emmons tells us is something that he talks about as the arc of gratitude. He says that gratitude amplifies, gratitude rescues, and gratitude connects. Gratitude amplifies the good in our lives. When we pause to reflect on the good things, it's as if we are watching a movie, right? You've got... Uh, uh, any Alfred Hitchcock fans, or maybe uh, Stan Lee, the comic book uh, artist, or, uh, or who, who else? Um, uh, um, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, some of these directors will do cameos in their films. And so a Hitchcock fan, they'll go through the film as if we're going through life, but they're going through it looking for something different. They're looking for those little appearances. And that is what gratitude does for us. We go through life, we've got all the mess, all the stuff that's going on, and yet gratitude fine-tunes our vision to ask God, what are you doing in the middle of all this? Not every day is a good day, but there's good and there's God in every day, and gratitude amplifies that. The second thing it does is it rescues us. Since this book since this work of Emmons first came out, you can almost listen to any kind of podcast and they're going to talk about the value of gratitude. Gratitude rescues us from the negativity bias, rescues us from the damage that's done by anxiety. And the last thing that gratitude does is it connects us. It connects us with other people and it connects us with God. The second person, the second angel I want to mention is Karen Rivich. Where does she come in? She's the one that brought this into the army and she came up with this wonderful term that I love, and we kind of laugh about it in the army, but it's called hunt the good stuff. Hunt the good stuff. And it's basically a simple gratitude exercise that I want to encourage each and every one of you to try this week. If you don't already have a gratitude practice, try hunting the good stuff. Why hunt? Because we have to go out and find it. We're kind of hardwired to see the negative, and so we have to work a little bit to look for the good stuff. But record three good things each day and answer some of the following questions. Why did it happen? How did it happen? How is it repeatable? How can I or someone else in my community increase this good thing? I did this for almost a year. Every single day for two weeks, we would have a group of soldiers that would come in and meet with us. And they would learn other things, but at the beginning of every single day, we would hunt the good stuff together. And so I was coming up with three good things every day. Over a year's time, how many things is that? Well over a thousand good things. And all of a sudden, this world that we live in that's full of anxiety, that's full of worry, is also flooded with good things. And so I encourage you to do that. The last angel I want to draw attention to is Lisa Miller. And I'm just going to quickly go through a couple of quotes of hers that talks about the emerging science of how these practices bringing our cares to God can transform our brains, can transform our lives. 
She says, Lisa Miller, she's at uh, Columbia University, does a lot of work with Columbia Medical School. She says, study after study says we're healthier if we have a strong spiritual core. We live longer. We get sick less. And we're less likely to become addicted. She continues. What the science says is most helpful in cultivating the deep inner spiritual heart, or what she calls the spiritual core, is a personal relationship with God. Imagine this. She is consulting the Department of Defense on spiritual fitness of our force. The strongest way to develop a deep spiritual core is a personal relationship with God. I want to summarize this all with one passage from one of Jesus' closest friends and earliest disciples, the Apostle Peter. Summarizes this entire message with these simple words. Give all your worries and cares to God, for God cares for you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for God cares for you. Friends, I think when we understand worry in the light of God's love and God's embrace, instead of worry being something that we have to worry about, when you begin some of these practices like the practice of gratitude and developing that relationship with God, worry can instead become a daily reminder because I think we all worry daily. It can be a daily reminder or an invitation to bring that thing, those things, to God. And with gratitude, acknowledge God's presence. And in that presence, you will feel his care and his love. With that, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. If there's anybody in the room here today that is struggling with worry or you just have some stuff that you're trying to work through and you need some additional support, we'll have some friends over to my right, to your left, under the screen that are here to pray with you. But I want to take us out today by making Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms in all of Scripture, into our concluding prayer. And I love this uh, version of it. It's from the Message Bible. Let's pray. God, my shepherd, I do not need a thing. I have bedded, or you have bedded me down in the lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath. You send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through the death valley, I'm not afraid. When you walk by my side, your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Friend, go in God's grace and in gratitude for the God that goes with you. Amen. God bless you. Mm-hmm.